I release the kids through fourth grade to go to those who are ready to teach them. Amen. I am so grateful, Brother Mark, for your family being able to be here and your adopted son, Mike, on the drums. And Boy, what... Uh, whew. Amen. Are you in the presence of the Lord today, friends? Don't miss this. Don't miss this. In the second letter that Peter wrote, he said, it's good that I remind you of things. It's good that I remind you of things so that you can remember them because a time is coming when I won't be with you and it will be good for you to remember those things. And I, I was thinking of that as I've spent some time in those, in those letters of First and Second Peter over the past few weeks. And I, I said to Pastor Doug, I said, I, I really believe that this week I'm supposed to preach a message that I preached in 2008. And that message is a new definition. And so I came to him and, and offered to preach that, and, and he said that that would be good. And as it turns out, it, it was so providential that I'd be here this weekend so that he could be ministering to the Zenner family and, and other things that have happened this weekend that has just been clear that uh, he was supposed to be released. So I'm, I'm grateful to be opening this message for you. A new definition We've been looking at a new normal. We've been looking at a new creation. And I'm, I'm, I want to talk to you today about how this new creation comes from a new definition. You've been given a new definition, and that possibility has come because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I didn't know that this was going to be the case, but the song that the kids, uh, kids sang are, is a perfect illustration. So I'm going to borrow my granddaughter's glove because we both wear the same size. Either that or this is a stretchy glove. When I first preached this message in 2008, I was uh, in school at the time, and one of the students that was in class with me wrote a poem, and one of the lines from that poem just grabbed me. He said, we need to stop defining people by the things that have defeated them. We need to stop defining people by the things that have defeated them. Isn't that a powerful line? How many times have you defined people by the things that have defeated them? And how many times have you allowed yourself to be defined by the things that have defeated you? Because listen, these are the things that have defeated you. Sin. Sin in the world. Satan. Listen, Satan hates you. He hates you. He hates everybody you know. He hates God. He hates God so much that he wants to hurt some of the things that are most special to him, and that's you. And he hates you, and that's his work, is to destroy you, and that's sin in the world. And listen, we join right in with him. Okay, we, we choose that. On a daily basis, we choose to sin, and, and that sin is things that have defeated us. And we can choose either to live in that sin, or we can choose to live in the victory that Jesus has accomplished for us in that pureness, and that absolute, pure, white life of righteousness that God longs to credit to your account. Listen, God sees you through the righteousness of Christ. He sees you like this, not like this. Do you know that God knows more than you do? <laughs> do you really know that? Do you live like you know that? Because listen, God doesn't see you this way. God sees you this way. If you've trusted in the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. So are you ready to see what it could be like to live in a brand new definition 
Okay, two of you are, so I'm going with it, okay? <laughs> Amen. We will color your world. Okay, here we go. We're going to do that with Scripture because that's where we find the truth we need to, to impact our lives. John chapter 20. I'll encourage you to turn to John chapter 20. And it's here that we're going to read the story of Thomas and Thomas's encounter with the risen Christ. And just to set the groundwork here a little bit, you know that last week, only one week ago, we celebrated Easter. How many of you think that Easter was only a week ago? Does it feel that way to you? Doesn't it feel like a hundred years ago? What's wrong with us? All right? One week ago. Imagine Thomas, okay? Because what we're looking at is one week later. We're looking at what happened on this day in the life of Thomas. Now, the week before, Easter Sunday, we know that Jesus had rose from the dead. Amen. We know that Jesus had risen from the dead. See, that's what we're looking at today is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to me because yesterday in the men's conference, Robert Amayo was speaking about the resurrection. On Wednesday night, Garth in junior high was talking about how the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important thing there is. And listen, that's true. And Robert Amayo was up here, and, and it's incredible. I, I watched him preach, and I thought, this is really good. And I thought, I'll know when I have arrived as a preacher because people will be taking pictures of me on their phone as I preach. <laughs> Don't do it now. It'll be awkward. Okay. <laughs> but listen, he was up here, and he was talking about the power of the resurrection. He was talking about how the resurrection is so important empowering to us, that it's all that we live for. It's the most important thing there is. And he was talking about it, and he was saying, isn't that right? Isn't that right? We had 300 guys, and listen, where was great worship? The guys were in the room, and they were engaged, and they were, but they weren't excited about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And listen, none of us are, are we? We need to be spurred on to be excited about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And listen, that's the power that we live in. It is the most important truth in our lives. Jesus on, on that Easter Sunday appeared to Mary and then to the other woman and then to Peter and then to those two guys on the road to Emmaus. Could you imagine what it would be like to chat with Jesus about all the things in the Old Testament that revealed who he was? Whew. And then that night he appeared to the ten disciples. Thomas wasn't with them. And then it was a whole week before anything happened. And that's where we're going to take it up. And the big idea for today, the thing I'd like you to remember is that an encounter with a risen Christ redefines us. That's our big idea for today. An encounter with a risen Christ redefines us. A new definition. And the first thing we see in our text here, John chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 24. And we see that now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He wasn't there. And so our first point today, an encounter with the risen Christ redefines us. Our first point is that you can miss seeing the power of the risen Christ. You can miss seeing that. Thomas missed it. He missed seeing that power. He wasn't with the disciples that night. Now, we're not told much about why he wasn't there. It doesn't expound on that in Scripture. We're not told. But I wonder if we could maybe imagine what could be some reasons that he wasn't there. 
Remember that he had just seen Jesus crucified or heard about it. We're not sure he saw it. Might have been hiding during the whole time. But he knew that Jesus had died. And then Sunday morning, he was in a locked room because he's scared to death what might be happening to him. And all of a sudden, a knock on the door, and it's Mary. Jesus is alive. I've seen him. Amen. And so two of the disciples run out to see if it's true, and they run to the tomb, but the tomb's empty. He's nowhere to be found. But Mary says, I saw him. And I can imagine the disciples come back and say, he's not there anymore. His, his body's gone. We don't know what's going on. And Thomas is like, what do you mean we don't know what's going on? This is all speculation. You're understanding. It's not in Scripture. This is all role play. You get that, right? And is it possible that Thomas said, we need to go look for him? And the other disciples said, we can't go out there. It's scary out there. We don't know what's going to happen out there. They're, they're hunting for us. They, they might kill us the way they killed Jesus. And uh, ooh, Thomas said, I don't care. I'm going to go find him. If he's out there, I'm going to go find him out there because he's not coming here. I'm going out there. Is that possible? Or is it possible that Thomas was one of those who handled grief differently than anybody else? See, we each handle grief differently, especially when it comes to the loss of one of our loved ones. When we lose one of those who are so close to us, and listen, Jesus was so close to Thomas. Oh, Thomas loved Jesus so much. He had been with him for three years. He, he had longed to be with him. Remember when, when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and you, you know where I'm going? Thomas said, I don't, know where, I don't know where you're going. Where are you going? Tell me where you're going so that I can go with you. And from that, we got these incredible verses where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And Thomas wanted to be with Jesus I think that what John shows us in his gospel of who Thomas is make it clear that he could be one of those disciples who would have, who would have grieved differently. Some of us, when we grieve, need to grieve with a group of people. Some of us need to grieve alone. Some of us need to go to a quiet place, just try to process all those things we're feeling. Is it possible that that Thomas was just so deep in grief that he was in a place by himself? We don't know that. But we do know that it's possible to miss the power of the risen Christ. While he wasn't there, Jesus came. It's caused me to think a little bit about the, the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, where it says, don't, don't give up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. See, I know sometimes you're tempted not to come here and be a part of this. But there's something that happens when we all get together and we see the risen Christ indwelling each one of us. You know, as I look at each one of you and I look at the healing that's happened in your lives and the ways that you've experienced the touch of Jesus and the power of his resurrection in your life, I'm reminded that Jesus lives. When I see the change that's happened in some of your lives and we get together and we rub up against each other, we get to see the power of the risen Christ. And you could choose to stay home and miss that. 
Well, what would happen if something miraculous happened here while you were gone? Thomas missed the big event. He missed the big event. Every once in a while, Karen wakes me up about 2 in the morning. It's usually about 20 degrees below. And we go outside to look at the meteor shower. (laughs) Any of you ever seen a meteorite fall? I have yet to see one. (laughs) Probably because my eyelids are frozen shut. But So you can miss out on things, can't you? An encounter with the risen Christ redefines us. The second thing we see is that you can be told about the power of the risen Christ and not believe. You can be told about the power of the risen Christ and not believe. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. (laughs) But he said to them, unless I see the nails marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. See, Thomas was told that Jesus had raised from the dead. He, he was told that Jesus was risen, but he chose not to believe it. I wonder what it was like that week in between. I wonder what was happening each day. I wonder if, if you know, as Thomas was sitting there, Matthew would come over and say, Thomas, I got to tell you, I don't know, how can I convince you that Jesus was here? He came into the room. The doors were locked. He appeared. He sat down and he ate with us. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it. I don't believe you. I've been with you for three years, and I've trusted you with everything. I don't believe you. You're, you're lying to me. I do not believe it. And Peter came over. He said, Thomas, listen, I'm telling you, Jesus was here, and we saw him. I saw his wounds in his side. I saw his hands. I saw his feet. He was here. I'm, I'm not going to believe it. I will, not, I, I will not believe you. Thaddeus came over. Look, here's the plate that he ate off of. Here, here's the plate. Here's the cup, all right? Here, here they are. He was here, and he ate food off this plate, and he drank out of this cup. Look, here's a chunk of bread he didn't quite finish because he was talking. You know, the, he was here. I'm not going to believe you. I don't, I don't believe you. I don't believe that Jesus is alive. You can be told that Jesus is alive and not believe it. See, in many ways, we, we see that Thomas is a doubter. That's his identity. That's the thing that, that we have used to define Thomas. If I can get this thing on again, there we go. Thomas has been defined as one who was a doubter. In actuality, he was a disbeliever. He said, I will not believe. A doubter says, I can't believe. A disbeliever says, I will not believe. And he was defined as that. How many of you have heard the phrase doubting Thomas? Okay. Did you know that came out of the Bible? All right. Well, you know, loosely. Defined by that. What's interesting, when you really stop to think about it, Thomas is identified by the reaction he had to a situation when he was in deep grief and pain and hurt. He's defined by a reaction he had when he was in pain and hurt and grief. Isn't that how we define others? And isn't that how we define ourselves? See, we're born into the world in sin, in opposition to God, enemies of God. And that grief and that pain 
And then the reaction is where we begin to identify people and we begin to identify ourselves that way as well. And that's where we gain our identity. See, how do you define others in relationships? Remember a time for Karen and I when I chose to define her by the things that had defeated her. And I began to focus on those things in her life instead of focusing on all the amazing things in her life. See this gem of who Karen is? Such a precious jewel that God has entrusted to me. And there's different facets to that jewel. Some of those facets have some flaws in them. It's the same with me, too. I'm not picking on her. I can choose to focus on those flaws. But you know what? I'd sure miss who she is. So I turn the gem. And I get to see all those incredible things that she is. I don't look at her by the things that have defeated her. I look to her and for the things that she's been given victory by Jesus. See, it's a focus thing. It's the same with each person that I come in contact with. Paul says it best in Philippians when he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because I'm confident that God's continuing to do his work in you. I don't need to focus on the stuff that's not done in you yet. I'm focusing on what God's doing in your life. We don't need to look at each other by the things that have defeated us. It doesn't help anybody. Because the, I, the things that have defeated us have come from those moments of pain and turmoil and hurt in our lives. And if we continue to identify other people in those ways, and if we continue to identify ourselves in our way, pretty soon we live down to that expectation. I don't need any help living in the darkness of the things that have defeated me. I do that very well on my own. But all too often, we're willing to help each other stay into the darkness. And Satan loves that. Absolutely loves it. Jesus is alive. Jesus has given us victory over those things that are the darkness in our lives. He's the light that has come into the world, and the world cannot overcome it. You can be told about the power of the risen Christ and not believe. But listen, an encounter with the risen Christ redefines us. If you miss seeing the power, if you're told you don't believe, you won't gain that. But listen, finally, you can be victorious through the power of the risen Christ. You can be victorious through the power of the risen Christ. Scripture goes on. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. <laughs> I can imagine he said, okay, I thought Jesus was out there, but guess what? If he's coming to you guys, I'm not leaving you. I'm on you like glue. There, and you're not going anywhere. You go to the bathroom, I'm with you, because I'm not going to miss it this time, okay? So Thomas was with them. Through, though the doors were locked, again, great fear. We understand that. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Can you imagine Jesus coming into your life and saying, peace be with you? He's done that, you know. Listen, you know where peace comes from? Peace comes from being aware of the risen Christ in your life. 
That's where peace comes from. So many times we try to find peace other places. We try to find peace in our relationship with our spouses. We try to find peace in our relationship with our kids, in our, in our work, in, our, in, in, in one of a million places we go to try to find peace. And listen, there is no peace apart from Jesus Christ. I have come to bring peace into the world, Jesus says. There's no peace in this world because, listen, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. We're going to the place Jesus prepared for me. You coming along? <laughs> Amen. Power the resurrected Christ. Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. In that phrase, what I see is that Jesus is eavesdropping on you. You see that? See, Jesus comes up to Thomas and he says, I understand you've been talking about me and you're saying I'm not really risen. I understand you say unless you see my side, unless you put your hands where my hand wounds are, you're not going to believe. Well, listen, Thomas, I've been listening to you and I want you to know that I'm here to give you that answer. Jesus is listening to you. You get that? Jesus is listening to you. He's listening to you all the time. He hears every word you say. He hears all the words you think that you don't say. He hears all the words you think you're going to say that you don't say. <laughs> he hears all those He hears all those dumb things you say to yourself. Like I'm not worthy. Like, nobody likes me. Like, nobody understands. Like, nobody knows what I'm feeling. Jesus hears all those things. And he's longing to come to you and say, stop doubting and believe. Stop living in disbelief and believe. Could it be that easy? I wonder if it could be that easy that in order for me to stop identifying myself by the things that have defeated me, if all I need to do is stop disbelieving and believe, could it be that easy? I'll give you a hint. The answer to that is yes. See, you choose to see yourself this way. That's what you choose. You choose to see yourself as identified or def defined by the things that have defeated you instead of the victory that God has won through Jesus Christ over those things. Now, that's huge. And we need to think about that a little bit. Because what we see is that when Thomas sees this, and, and I can imagine he dropped down to his knees. I don't think he ever got around to putting his finger in the wounds. I think the minute he saw him, he dropped down to his knees and said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Listen, I want you to understand something. Why was it so important for Thomas to see the wounds on the body of Jesus Christ? It's said that the only work of men 
which would be visible in heaven are the wounds on the body of Christ. That's our work. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. In the minute, I believe in the minute that Thomas saw that body and he saw those wounds, somehow, someway, God was able to show him what those wounds represented. What those wounds on the body of Christ represent is that the, the payment for your sin has been made. God punished Jesus for your sin. Get that? Those wounds prove that those things that have defeated you no longer define you. Because listen, those things that have defeated you were placed on the body of Jesus Christ. Your sin was placed on his body and he paid the penalty for that. And he took those into the grave. Now listen, if those wounds were not visible on a resurrected body, it would mean that the things that had defeated you had defeated Jesus Christ and Satan had won. But... But Jesus has been raised again. And Jesus has gained victory over those things that have defeated you. He took them to the grave and he buried them there. Amen, John. I'm glad you get it. Here's the deal. That is like huge for us. Don't you? Man. But see, we don't get it. We don't own this. We don't understand it. And because of that, it doesn't change our lives. And we end up getting stuck believing the lies of Satan that we are who we are in defeat. I refuse to believe that. I refuse to believe that I am identified by the things that have defeated me. Jesus paid way too high a price for me to hold on to that garbage. How about you? Are the things that have defeated you causing you to have terrible relationships with people? Are they causing you to live a life of, of anguish and despair? Are they causing you to be angry? Are they causing you to be addicted to something that you're trying to find relief in? Are they causing you to be a bitter gossip? Are they causing you to dress inappropriately trying to find some sort of satisfaction and having people look at you? How are you allowing the things that have defeated you to define you rather than letting the power of the risen Christ define you? How are you allowing yourself to live in darkness instead of light? Jesus came into the world and he was the light, the light of men. Is he the light of your life? You know how easy it is? Stop doubting and believe. Stop disbelieving and believe. In order for you to have a new definition, you must accept the forgiveness that's been offered by Jesus Christ. You must accept that forgiveness. 
Listen, the things you've done that are sin have caused you to be separated from God. They have brought you under his wrath. But he has died to pay the penalty for those things. And if you ask him, he will forgive you. And he will come and he will take, and he will take your life and he will change it 180 degrees. But that requires that you ask him to be your Lord and your God. It requires that you say, I understand the way I've been controlling my life isn't good. I want you to control my life. I want you to be in control of my life. I don't want to choose the things that I think are good. I want to choose the things that you know are good in my life. I want to be defined by the way you see me. And the minute you do that, you step into a whole new definition. And then what we do is we start rubbing up against each other. And we stop identifying other people by the things that have defeated them. Karen doesn't need me to do that in her life. Neither does Mark or Julia. None of you do. Imagine if we started living in the victory that Jesus won for us. Where would we be? Where would we be? Well, Thomas received a new definition. Thomas received a brand new definition. When he knelt down and he said, my Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, boy, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. You're a believer, Jesus said. He declared Thomas a believer. Just, just like the man who had been defined as lame was defined as a man who could walk. Just as the one who was defined as one who was blind was defined as a man who could, who could see. Just as the man who was defined as filthy, a leper, was designed as, defined as pure and whole. The doubter was defined as a believer. How about you? Do you need a new definition? It's available in the power of the resurrected Christ. Thomas's life was changed because of it. See, with a new definition, your, your whole focus changes. And that's what we see in the life of Thomas. The doubter went to, to spread the gospel. He told everybody about the risen Christ. Even though he hadn't believed, he made sure everybody he came to knew that it was true. At least they knew what he saw. And he went all the way to India to tell that. And so the gospel went to India because of that. We just happened to have three people who just came back from India. I think I'm going to ask them to come up here and tell us if they see that there's any proof that maybe the gospel's in India at all today because of what Thomas has done there. Robin and Merrill and Craig and Heidi, and you know we prayed for them two weeks ago as they left here. And uh, Robin's got a whole new outfit because... Um, <laughs> First short-term mission trip, and they lost their luggage in Chicago. <laughs> On the way there. Okay, so amen. And she's still smiling. Isn't that great? Suffering for Jesus. What did you see, Robin? First of all, I'd like to say he is risen. He is risen indeed. <laughs> that does my heart good. Amen. Um, one of the first phrases that we learned when we went to India was, praise the Lord. And uh, it's a way of greeting and a, a way of just letting each other connect as Christians. And Pastor Chuck had asked us earlier, how did we see um, the gospel in India and God working in India? And God is working in India. And as I thought about it, and as we talked about in the first service, um, where I saw it as I pondered on it, is that it's in the small children. Um, they have a lot of what they call semi-orphans, which are children that have one parent or the other but 
usually the one parent is the mother, and the father's usually either has died from disease or, or some type of situation, and so the mother can't usually take care of them. And so they go into orphanages, even sometimes just during the day. But in those orphanages, they're hearing the word of God. And um, the pastors and the caretakers are making a very conscious effort to make sure that they're hearing the word of God and that they're pushing aside the, the gods, the millions of gods that are in India, and that they're worshiping the one true God. And that, I think, was very impactful for us as we traveled throughout. And um, the other part that just really impacted me is the pastors that were there and the daily struggles that they face. Um, they don't face just getting to work on time. They face um, just making sure the children get fed. I mean, and that could be one meal a day. or um, And that, I think, really struck Heidi and I. One of the places we visited was a, they call it like a, they call them slum babies. And um, it's an area where the women work all day long, every single day, for the rich people. They clean their houses. And um, so the children are left alone a lot. And then when the mothers come back, they're, because of their situation, a lot of times they turn to alcohol for relief. And so the children are still left alone. And we visited that, um, that slum. And the, the little children, um, they set aside an area that they, they call their church and then the, the pastor's. They'll come there, and they'll worship together, and that's where they hear the word of God. And I, I, I just, that word slum baby stayed with me, you know, because yeah. in the eyes of God, they're not a slum baby. Yeah. They're a child of God. Yeah. So anyway, Amen. praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. Um, I just can't believe that I got to go on this trip. Um, he has shown me so much through this trip um, that I could have never seen or heard or have even like come here to tell you about of course if I hadn't gone um he is so much at work as Robin said um I saw that especially in the young women that I got to pray over and um actually two women I got to um help baptize which was amazing um and like she said we learned the one word in Indian which is sultram which means praise the Lord. And whenever we would come to another church, we would say praise the Lord. And the, uh, every single hand would go up in the whole church, even the little kids. And it was just such a special um, sight to see. And it just um, went straight to the heart. Um, and I will never, ever get my heart back because my heart is in India now. And I just love it so much. And I actually didn't want to come home. <laughs> That's how much I loved it so much. Um, the children, they really grabbed my heart and they took it to theirs. And I got to see Jesus alive through the eyes of a child and how they lived in slum areas. And even though they have so little, they are so joyful in everything that they do, and they just gave me eternal love and joy and peace. And that's why I didn't want to come back, because they just grabbed my heart. And there's one of the slum babies up there. And um, all the women, they gave us lays, and they honored us. And that was one of the hardest things to accept, because I was like the whole team. We were all humbled just to be there. And it um, is just indescribable 
how awesome it was for us to go. Amen. So, thank you. Well, as you can see, we came back changed people. Amen. We, we left with expectations and things that we would see, and uh, we came back changed by the power of the resurrection and the power of the resurrected Christ. We saw that in the people of India. Um, it's said that Christ shines brightest in the darkest places, and India is definitely a dark place. And yet we saw so many beautiful people that, that had been empowered by the resurrected Christ. And that's what was powerful for each one of us, to interact with them, to pray with them. Uh, we were treated like celebrities. I mean, it was amazing. Like Heidi said, we were really humbled. Every place we went, we saw signs like this welcoming us, and they gave us flowers, and they, they honored us, and they all wanted us to pray for them and lay hands on them. It was, it was really amazing, it, and it was an honor to be there as Christ representatives. And I want to thank you as a church for praying for us. Uh, we felt your prayers. We were in situations sometimes that were kind of dangerous. We were on the road once, and a motorcycle cut in front of us, and the driver had to swerve off and almost went off the road. And, and uh, we just said, praise the Lord, because we, we felt his hand of protection was upon us. The food wasn't an issue. Um, and, and we're thankful for that, and, and we got good rest, and just the Lord was there with us. Mm -hmm. And uh, so thank you for your prayers. And then um, the part that I want to share is uh, um, the same thing, the orphanages. Um, there's, a, there's a caste system. There's a caste system, and there's three tiers, and one is... They're not allowed to use the term anymore, untouchables, but, but they still are. The, the government said no, but the people say yes. And so these children in the orphanage, they were, they were considered untouchables. And, um, but uh, as, as I came back, I didn't think about this while I was there. As I came back, um, they say that you can never leave that class. But we went to one place where there was 200 children, 200 little orphans. And the light of Christ just shined through them. The light of Christ was so evident in them, the joy, it, it came from them. There is an escape. There's an escape from the caste system. If you think you're not worthy, if, you th if, if you're young and you think you're not worthy, there's an inheritance waiting for you. There's an inheritance waiting for you, and Jesus is that inheritance. And immediately, when you believe and accept him as Savior, you're not an untouchable anymore. You are a son, a daughter. You are a prince or a princess. They are out of the caste system. They are. Amen. And the joy that we want to show you through the pictures one day, the joy that we want to show you, the, the love, 200 children coming up in waves to, to touch you, to, to love on you. They don't even know there's a caste system because there's a Jesus in their life. There is no caste system in them because there is Jesus in their life. And we got to experience that. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. And that's such a good word. Amen. Let's have a word and applaud for them.
There is an escape from being untouchable. There is an escape from being defined by the things that have defeated you. One final word, real quickly here. Maybe you're here and you don't believe. Maybe you're here and you don't believe. John says this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are recorded that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Listen, if you're here and you don't believe, read, read the book of John. If you don't have a Bible, take one from under the seat. Take it home, wear it out. Read the book of John. Every time you see the word believe, you circle that word and you say, God, if you're real, you show yourself to me so I can believe in you. And listen, if you, if you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. He's promised that. You may have life in his name. Listen, you live in those things that have defeated you, you're living in death. You're living in death and you're living in the lies of Satan. But if you take on Jesus Christ, you will live in the light of his name. Victory in Jesus. How many of you know that hymn? Amen. You like to sing it? Stand up, let's sing it. As the, uh, you know, we're so privileged, Pastor Mark, to have your family here. Victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus.